welcome to the Step Back Sisterhood. This is one of your hosts, Tara, and today we're going to learn about the Golden State Warriors. Janelle is going to answer questions from Britt and Amber and I about what's been going on with the team over the last few days. And then we get to talk to the Golden State Warriors sideline reporter, Kareth Burke. Great conversation about the direction the team is going and also a little bit more just about her journey and what it's like to be a sideline reporter in the NBA. All right. Amber's up with the first questions for Janelle. Welcome back to another episode of Step Back Sisterhood. And today we have one of our very own, she lives in, in the Carolinas, but she is a huge Warrior fan and she also writes for the Carolina Panthers. We're going to bring in Janelle, but Janelle also will be on the panel for today as well. But she's going to give us a lot of insight on the Warriors. How are you doing today, Janelle? I'm doing fine today. How are y'all doing today? We're doing well. Looking forward to hearing from you about Golden State. Yes. Yes, we are. So I'm going to, I'm just going to dive right in. I'm just going to, I'm just going to dive right in. How do you feel about the news today about Mr. Bazemore coming back to play for the Warriors? I'm not, I mean, it's okay. Um, and the move makes sense. I mean, he's been in the fold before. He's one of Steph's closest friends and he adds some depth at guard and mainly for defense. So, you know, I'm pretty cool with it. I wish we could have um, got a chance at Austin Rivers, though. With that move being made, do you still think that you guys have the cap space for a guy like Austin Rivers, or do you think you guys are done? I think we are done for the most part because we're still waiting on the disabled players exemption. And, you know, we just have, like, Part, I think part of the mid-level player, mid-level exemption to give, and that's not really much. I think we're pretty much done at this point. If there's another move that Bob Myers has, that'll surprise me. But right now we're up to like 16 people excluding Clay. Well, speaking of Clay, I guess if we maybe had this recording on Saturday or, well, at the time of the recording, um, we're Sunday now, but if we had this on Friday or Saturday, it probably would have a much, um, different feeling. But with Clay being out for the year because of the Achilles injury, how, what are your th- current thoughts? Have they changed since some of the moves that the Warriors have made? No, not really. Not really. But, you know, I'm happy with the moves that we made. At least that'll give us another dimension of our team. We are younger and longer and should be more athletic. Here's the wingspans of the people that's currently on the roster. Wiggins have a uh, seven-foot wingspan. Pascal does, too. Marquise Chris, 7'1", wingspan. So does Draymond. Kelly Oubre has the seven-foot-three wingspan. Looney, seven foot four, and Wiseman, seven six. If we could just really lock in on defense and, you know, use that athleticism on that end, I would really, really feel confident about where we are. What people don't realize about us is that it is our offense that's made us formidable for the past five years. You know, those crazy third quarter runs that we would go on? Mm-hmm. They are all catalysts due to the defense, especially in transition. 
And if if Ron Adams and Draymond can instill that to the newbies, I think we're going to be just fine and be among the top of in the NBA when it comes to defense. And seeing this and just seeing the possibilities with a more athletic lineup and being able to run up and down the floor, especially when you get the outlets and, and the rebounds and go, I like my chances. I think the ceiling for the Warriors should be at least fourth in the West. I know I'm wilding, but you know what? I don't care. Well, I, I want to talk about uh, – my question is about your expectations uh, because, you know, we all sat here and waited for Clay to be back, and we were so excited that Clay was going to be back, even people who aren't fans of the Warriors. You know, everybody wants what's best for him. And then when we heard that his, you know, Achilles uh, – had given out, I guess. I don't know. When we heard that he wasn't going to be here, it was just so sad and so devastating, you know, obviously for him, but also because of, you know, what we were expecting to go back to with Golden State. So, like, where were your expectations for this year before you heard that Clay wasn't going to be there? And then do you think that – it sounds like you think the team is pretty well suited to – to carry on, but like, yeah, kind of maybe just talk about like your expectations and what that, what well, that roller coaster was before, like before Clay or after. Well, like before and then Clay, I, I was confident and I had no doubt that it would be among the top in the Western conference among the top five. And even after the moves that they made and knowing that I have a healthy Steph Curry, and a healthy and motivated Draymond Green, my expectations still haven't changed. I still believe that they will surprise people and sneak into that top five. Do you That's think they're them? Do you think that they're pretty much sticking with the same identity then or you know, plan that they had before they learned that they had lost Clay Thompson and they're just like, we're just gonna because eventually, you know, Steph and Clay are going to also like age out and you're going to have to have, you know, these new players, like a new team come in behind them. So do you feel like they were sort of ready for that? Yeah, yes and no. I say yes because you know, they realize that the core will age out, but their focus now is to capitalize on their prime when they're still in their prime. You know, and eventually, I, th- I think they did so with Wiseman. I think Wiseman will surprise some people. And drafting Wiseman is what we needed. We haven't really had an athletic big like that before. I mean, Andrew Bogut was serviceable and really served the purpose when he was in Golden State. But right now, serviceable ain't really good enough when you have, you know, AD in the conference, you know. And you have you know, some more athletic bigs, you know, you have to have more. And I I believe Wiseman is a step in that direction. I'm a huge Kelly Oubre fan. I I really, when, when I heard about OKC wanting to trade with Phoenix and getting Kelly Oubre, I was like, as long as Kelly Oubre is included in trade, I'm happy. I did not see him going to Golden State. I mean, that came out of, Nowhere. There, there's been a lot of surprises this season for the NBA as far as trades being made, dra- people with draft picks. How do you feel about the Kelly Oubre um, pickup? 
I like it. And I was expecting them to get Ubre, really, because I thought that we couldn't afford Ubre. But I'm just glad it panned out. In Ubre, we got someone that can run and transition, and that's where he thrives. Uh, his wingspan is ridiculous. You know, like I said, his his wingspan is like what seven foot four, and it's going to give a, a new dimension to the offense. That is, Kerr is open minded to kind of shift his approach a little bit since he we don't have Clay for the year. Yeah, or go and ahead. Him and Wiggins on the wings. That that's going to be interesting to watch. Speaking of Wiggins, this is the last question I'm going to have, Britt. <laughs> Speaking of Wiggins, what do you see his role being full-time with the Golden State Warriors this year? What do you see his role panning out to be? I hope he's a better Harrison Barnes. You know what I mean? No one is going to replicate Kevin Durant. And, and that's just being real. But that, However, that doesn't mean that Wiggins is totally trash. You know, he, he has some um, preconceived notions about him because of where he was. But just as long as he's consistent, especially on defense, I see him to be dependable and solid in, into the three role. Or maybe, maybe as a, a shooting guard, he, he might be better as a two versus being the starting three if we're getting Ubre. And that'll even put less pressure on him. Well, I guess you were just mentioning that you hope that Steve Kerr changes his philosophy to a certain extent when it comes to the, I guess, his um, play calling with Clay being out and having the focus mostly on Steph, I'm assuming. So what are you thinking about, or I guess, can you give some um, more insight as to how um, Kerr can potentially change his, um, you know, his um, philosophy and allow for um, the team to um, thrive a little bit more? Yeah, see, what a lot of people outside of our fan base don't realize is that, you know, even though Kerr have had his success, that man is stubborn as hell. And that's why we had the record that we did last year, because what Kerr didn't do was adapt to the strength of his personnel on the floor instead of forcing his philosophy down their throats. If he could adapt to the strength of his stars instead of strength or of numbers or bust, then we would be fine. You know, like I said, Ubre thrives in transition. He likes to run. Draymond, to extent, thrives in transition, especially like when he gets a rebound. He, you know, we like to go. Even when the opponent scores, we like to get it out the basket and go. And, you know, being a, a run-and-gun team was, wouldn't be so bad with the personnel that we have. And also, I'm not advocating for Steph to be on the ball all the time, but just mix it up a little bit. Yeah, I know that he thrives better off the ball or he's better off the ball, but, you know, it's getting to be where it's predictable. He runs around 50-11 screens and then relocate 4-3 and he's open. And more likely he hits it. But, you know, it's coming to be more predictable. I would like to also see more mid-range jumpers from him to kindly keep the defense off balance because, you know, on the ball, of course, you know, 
he'll have double teams, he'll have triple teams or whatnot. But at least with mid-range, he'll have another outlet instead of, you know, running towards the three. So opponents will run him, just run him off the line. And more pick and rolls. That's where Dre also thrives. And what defenses will do will just leave Dre to be open, you know, with that shot he got. And that's if he make it, they'll have to live with the consequences. And if they miss it, that's what they want. But he thrives more on a pick and roll. So he can cut to the basket and um, get some easy baskets that way. Yeah. And one more quick question, um, although it may not be a quick answer. Uh, I am not optimistic about Steph being able to lead the um, Warriors without Clay um, I- and with the declining Draymond. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep my comments about like why, but I just want to hear from you why you, um, you think I sh- I'm probably wrong about that. Well, I believe in him carrying the team without Clay. He's done it before in 2013. I mean, that, that, and that's that's what that's what kindly gets me heated with most of the pundits, even in my fan base and outside. It's like y'all forgot who Steph really is. I mean, he he is a two time MVP, and he and he earned every bit of that. He, he put in the work and, and for people to doubt him, I mean, that's just really disrespectful to him. And as far as Draymond's declining, we, we still don't know that yet. This, last year was an outlier. What would he look like expelling his energy for a team that wasn't really going nowhere? Now he's trim, he's motivated, you know, you, you just have to wait and see, but you know, don't write him off yet. So I kind of want to hear uh what Brit what you wanted to say cuz I want to hear I kind of want to hear you go back you two go back and forth um about this just to learn from it. I guess what I mean that so I I guess I have a couple of things I want to mention. Like one, Clay has been around when it comes to Steph the entire time. Yes, I agree with you Janelle that um Steph has been the leader of the team, but Clay until last season has been a consistent person. Like I'm looking at the number of games that he played. Um, he has played at least 66 games since the 2011, 2012 season. He didn't start until 2012, 2013. Um, 2013, but he definitely has been contributing there. Um, and the one year that Steph was, you know, sort of by himself, quote unquote, that was the year that, you know, that team went against the Mavericks and Clay wasn't drafted quite yet. Um, so I, that's one thing. Um, two is that I, I feel like what Clay and what Draymond has offered, and I, I guess what Draymond may be able to offer, although during the, what, 10 games that Steph was um, playing on the team before he injured his wrist, um, Draymond wasn't able to do, is he wasn't able to shot, you know, he wasn't able to protect Steph from the defensive woes that he tends to do or tends to have. Um, I mean, folks always like to, you know, bash Harden and I have, you know, sort of thoughts about that, but in general, uh, 
when it comes to stuff, he has just as many if there isn't folks around him to protect him or to like shadow, you know, shadow him. And Clay allowed him to do that. Um, I think the third thing is that you can definitely see how, you know, Steph reacted when it came to, um, the, you know, the 2018, 2019 playoffs once, um, uh, Durant and once, uh, Clay were both out. He had one phenomenal game where, you know, he scored what close to 50 points or 50 points. Um, I can't remember yeah, the exact What you're talking about the finals where he scored 47. Yeah. Yeah, 47 points. Yeah, that, you're correct. But yeah. after that, he completely just, like, he he went away. He disappeared, essentially. He was probably um, tired. He, he, he was tired. <laughs> During the finals. He, he ever won and a bunch of some of the cats that can't shoot. With Clay being there for, you know, most of the games until the game that he suffered the knee injury. So that yeah. that's really my point. I, I don't like I'm really at I I think that Steph can potentially do it. Um, I'm not going to say that like he, I mean, he is a multi time um, MVP for a reason. But I also can't like ignore that he has had the defensive talent that he's had over the last, you know, close to, you know, a, a, almost a decade at this point. And with Clay being out, you know, out for an entire, you know, another year um, and Draymond, I mean, we have to sort of wait and see. And with such a young cast that's around him, he's going to have to do a lot more than I I think people are giving him a lot. Excuse me. They're giving him a lot more of the benefit of the doubt than I think he should get. Um, But that's just me. Oh, you're you're talking. Oh, okay, I I got you. But, you know, a lot of people. And I think it's fake benefit of the doubt. Some people even said that he should require a trade. Well, I, I so, think okay, so. People could say he's um, running from the ground and ducking, and uh, something else to criticize him for. I mean, yeah, Steph is not the strongest as far as his defense go, but he he do what he can when he can, and for him, it's going to be tough for him to take a more of a role defensively. But you know. He is what he is at this point. And it's, it's up for maybe for him to try more defensively, but kind of be smart about it. His, he has a penchant for uh, being too handsy and trying to, you know, swipe. But his strongest shoot is playing the passing lanes. And that's what I still think he should stick to towards. And it's up to Dre to kind of take on that load defensively. Yeah. You, you know. Who do you think will help the most with um, ball handling? Because I know, the thing is, is Clay, that's like one thing they aren't losing without Clay because he wasn't really oh, a ball Clay handler. Cannot, Clay, cannot, <laughs> Clay cannot dribble. Yeah. But Clay you were saying that you like yeah. to see Steph without the ball. and it, you know, No, like, I like to see him with the ball more. Oh, you want him with the ball more. Okay. With the ball more. But see, Draymond – is a point forward for us in the true sense of the w- word. He pulls, uh, pushes the ball past half court. Steph run around 50-11 screens. And, you know, I, I think that defenses are used to that now. Mm-hmm. And it's got to the point where people think that he can not um, go get a bucket 
with the ball in his hands anymore. And, I, and you know, I, I wouldn't even go that far. And it, it's just good to also have that element of not knowing what he's going to do. That's why I want the ball in his hands. Because right now, like I said, running around 15-11 screens is getting predictable. Even though it's still predictable and they'll find that out if they haven't already. So I haven't watched the particulars of how the Golden State Warriors play for all that many years. All I know is the Blazers just keep running up against them in the playoffs and then they get swept. So um, how – but earlier on in Steph's career, did he have the ball in his hands more often? And, like, with sort of, like, all these young guys in there now, like, is not, it conceivable? Really because earlier on, Steph, you know, couldn't stay on the floor because he had those ankle issues. And dumbass coaches, like um, the guy who, the, I think, uh, Keith Smart, that benched him for acing all, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> but um, when Mark Jackson came, he empowered both Steph and Clay and put the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. And that's when he started to become and develop that, develop the Steph Curry as we know him today. Oh, we're at 310 right now. We are. Yeah, we should uh, wrap it up. There's lots more that we could talk about, but let's go ahead and wrap it up so that we can bring our guests in. How's that sound? Sounds great. Sounds good. I am just excited for this episode in particular. I am here with none other than NBC Sports Bay Area's own Kerry Burke. How are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. How are you all? Good. Great. Good. Good. So you've been at NBC Sports Bay Area for two or three seasons now? It's been three seasons. Three seasons. Talk about your journey in becoming a sideline reporter for the Warriors. If I'm not mistaken, you did um, do some work in North Carolina. I did. That's where you're from, right? Yes. So I used to work for an ABC station in Raleigh-Durham. So I got a taste of Duke versus Carolina, um, the HBCUs down there. The women's basketball down there is very good. We need to give them a shout out too. Um, And then that experience, like at the local ABC, I was a photographer. So I had the big camera on my shoulder. I was a reporter. I was a fill-in anchor. I got to do everything. I edited my stories. You know, so it really taught me, like, how to listen for the most emotion, what kind of video matches that emotion. Um, I, I got to learn how to tell a story from start to finish. I'm so happy for that experience. And then I got to go up to SNY in New York City. Um, I didn't have to have the camera on my shoulder anymore, so I could just focus on reporting. Um, I covered nine pro sports teams, and I also covered UConn women's basketball. They had four consecutive championship seasons, and that happened to be the four years I covered the team. It was incredible. That experience helped me cover the Olympics in 2016 in Rio. Gino Oriema was the women's coach. Um, I think he had six current or former UConn players on that roster, so the UConn connection really helped me. And then I think stepping on that stage, the Olympics, that helped me get some looks um, for the Golden State Warriors job. So basketball has been a part of my career 
for a long time. It's something that I love. It's something that I, that's opened up so many doors for me. Um, and I really feel charmed, frankly, to get to associate with legendary teams like this. Yes. And it's amazing. You know, you mentioned HBCUs. I'm a graduate of North Carolina A&T about eons ago, but. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was central. That, that, huh? Well, it was, it was, so in Durham, it was NC Central. Um, yes. Lavelle and, Moten was the coach down there, right? Okay. And then yeah. uh, Shaw and then St. Augs. Yeah. A&T is in Greensboro. Okay, great. That's where you're from? Yeah. Well, I'm from a small town in the western part of the state called Old Fort. Okay. Um, that's near Asheville. And, okay. you know, I just, I just have family in the Piedmont Triad area and I wanted to, I ended up at A&T. Got it. Got it. Yeah. No, Carolina is a hotbed for basketball players, men and women. I mean, that's, um, that's good country out there for good hoop. Yes. We are for basketball like Texas is the football. And, yep. Uh, my biggest regret from college is not really going out and walking on. I've Ooh. played AAU ball and, and high school ball, but you know, I wanted to focus on my career and <laughs> that's that. But, you know, we, we are a hotbed of basketball and I've just ain't nothing like it. I know. I know. Duke versus Carolina. Those are some of my favorite memories. I mean, sitting in Cameron Indoor Stadium, which is, it's a historical site at this point. Like it's never going to have more than about 9,000 fans and they are on top of you. The Cameron crazies are wild. Um, thinking about it now in COVID times, uh, uh-uh. uh, because you know, I'm sitting there with my pen of paper and the students right behind me, like their little spit drops are falling on my paper. And, and I'm like, uh, uh-uh. uh, gross. Sometimes you would get the blue body paint on you if you were, uh, if you were too close. So those are the days though. Those are those kind of moments where either I was sitting on press row or I was sitting cross-legged on the baseline with the big camera. Um, zooming in on those shots, zooming in on the bench. Like there was, you know, speaking about it right now, I'm feeling nostalgic. I I miss that kind of stuff, being right there in the action. Have you always been um, working towards, uh, I mean, was sports something that you always wanted to do and cover? Or like, how did your relationship with basketball evolve? Basketball started for me in middle school and high school with really good coaches but that doesn't mean I was really good. I'm pretty frank about this. Um, only one season of varsity, kind of. Just developmentally, I just wasn't there. I just wasn't aggressive enough at that age. Like, I did not want to stand out. I didn't want to score. I love to play defense. I love to steal the ball. But when it came to, like, running down to the other end, I was like, oh, God, pass it, pass it. Like, no, I just didn't want to stand out. Um, so I didn't play in college. I didn't. I wasn't good enough for a scholarship. But I've always just loved this game. And then um, sports was always on in my house growing up. Um, my family watched the Olympics religiously. Um, basketball was on in the house. I remember the Bulls dynasty. That was like my first real like sports as a collective appointment television, something special happening, something in the air. Um, my parents watched uh, football a lot. They would um, have friendly bets on games. So, you know, it was just always on in the house. And then I, I played basketball or I ran cross country or I did track or I learned how to play tennis and soccer. So it was always athletics were like always a part of my life. And I'm thankful for that. 
Could you tell me or talk to me about the biggest transition in your career thus far? Yes, it was that leap from covering UConn and even the Olympics to covering the NBA. Because for college, you're talking about 35 to 40 games. You're talking geographically about um, conferences that are closer together. It's not, you know, across the country kind of travel. And just the spotlight is different. Um, UConn women's basketball is extraordinary. They don't get their due because it's a women's team. So that difference from going to covering women to covering men and then from college to pros was huge. And what I had to remind myself was, you know, just really take a deep breath and say, it's just basketball. It's just basketball. You know how to be a basketball reporter. Every sideline is the same. And that kind of helped me keep my vision small so I, I it, and manageable, like things that I can control instead of like, oh, my goodness, I'm about to cover a dynasty, a team that's on ESPN, it feels like, every night with, you know, a unanimous MVP and, like, these legendary players. And, you know, but if I ever had that moment where I was nervous or whatever to interview Steph Curry, then I wouldn't be doing my job. I have to treat everyone just like an ordinary person, um, and they appreciate that, actually. So I had to keep it small and make that transition, or I would panic, frankly. But I think I did okay that first year. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I guess speaking of which, um, you mentioned that your um, transition over to becoming a Golden State Warrior sideline report reporter was a different or you know a major change for you um and since there's only around 30 nba side live reporters who work for the teams for the league um what is it like and um i guess you know more specifically what's the sisterhood like yeah it, you're right there's only 30 teams so there's 30 people in the country in this kind of role which also feels really special and i don't think about that a lot and maybe i should um, so you're right. There is a, a sisterhood. Um, there are some men who do the job, but as far as women in a prominent role in that way, like for some of us, that's our entry point into getting noticed. If a woman eventually wants to be in the broadcast booth as an analyst, you know, she'll take her first step often as a sideline reporter. Um, we support each other because we know what the travel is like. We know what the hours are like. We know how much the NBA dictates our lives. We know that we chose this life, but we can also commiserate with, um, with what it's like to devote yourself to one thing day in, day out, no days off when you cover practice and shoot around, um, holidays, weekends, nights. Um, it's nice to have that collective kind of friendship among other sideline reporters in the league. Okay. Um, the Warriors right now are di a different team this year. You know, with Oubre and Wiggins, they're, they're long and athletic. And without Clay, how should Kerr alter his schemes offensively? And should he even do so? You know, where Kerr is successful is I think he looks at the players on the court and he gives them a lot of freedom and trust. And the head of that snake is Steph Curry, who can improvise like none other. So if Steph wants to step across the half-court line and shoot a three, he's got the license to do that. If he wants to dribble, I mean, like, he can open things up for himself. He can open things up for his teammates. There's a spontaneity with the Warriors um, that I think makes them a really fun team. And 
you should expect them to run a lot more this season. If they're healthy, if they rebound, they would love to get back to playing more transition basketball where they're not facing a set defense every time they come up the court. So whether it's a Steve Kerr decision or not, I think we're going to see a different offense from the Warriors this year simply because they're faster and because Steph is healthy. Kind of following along on, you know, the uh, it's a it's a different team this year. Who are some of the people or what are some of the sidelines that you're really excited to, like, dig into to start the season? The sidelines? What do you mean? Uh, I mean, who are uh, – sorry, storylines is what I meant to say. Uh, 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 <laughs> what are some yes. of the storylines? No, no, no. I think I was following you there. I just wanted to make sure I heard you correctly. Um, you know what? There has been so much – promise this whole off season, even going back in the last year, like if the team can just get through this season next year, they can, they'll be healthy. They'll have Steph, Clay, Draymond, like those three are always talked about the nucleus, right? They're the homegrown talent, the draftees, a very strong trio, one of the best trios in the NBA. Now, suddenly Clay is out, which again, like all this, all the scaffolding around next, what next season would be has suddenly changed. But the constant, I think, is the chip on their shoulder. Like, I'm looking at who the Warriors have on the team right now, and I see a supporting cast, like a bench, that could be one of the best in the league. I don't know if that excites people to hear about a bench, but you need those people. And they went through the fire last year. Okay, you're getting Ubre, who's coming off of career highs for the Suns last season. You've got Wiggins, who... I think is aware of how people talk about him, especially his critics. You know, he was the number one pick. He didn't do enough in Minnesota. Is he washed up? I think that stuff is unfair. I mean, and then Wiggins came to the Warriors via trade. So he only got a a handful of games, maybe like, I think it was 10 games-ish, to see how he would fit with this team. And, oh, he wasn't playing along Steph Curry. He got one game with Steph last year. So fit for Wiggins is going to be very important, establishing his role on the team with healthy people around him. Um, I think you have a rested and healthy Draymond. You've got James Wiseman now. He's extremely intriguing. So Janelle, going back to what you were saying about like people discounting the Warriors, I don't know. I look at this stuff and I see a lot of potential. I see a lot of promise. Of course, the Warriors want more than promise. They don't want a pat on the head. They want to be contenders. Um, going into the season right now, I feel like I feel like they have reason to be confident. Here's my question for you, and it, and it might be looking too far ahead or jumping the gun, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Ooh, I like it. Okay, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> now this can this can sound crazy. Once you have one injury, you have another. I.e., Derrick Rose. Um, Steph had his problems with his ankles. Do you ever see the Warriors being completely healthy and making another successful run? I think that's all predicated on Steph. And what Steph has in his favor is rest via that long-term broken hand. He, he could not play basketball. He had to force himself to rest. And that's difficult for Steph. He's involved in so many things. Um, he was at so many games too. Like he was still present, even though he couldn't play. A rested Steph Curry, when you consider that the Warriors had gone to five consecutive finals, 
That's like playing another season. That's a lot of minutes. That's a lot of wear on your legs. If he's rested, I think that sets your body up in a different way to have a healthy season. And I think you guys know the way that Steph devotes himself to training, to nutrition, to preparation. So if he's had all this time where he got to work on just fundamental things in his body, if he's got any, like, any little tweaks or muscle imbalances, he has got that sorted out because he is so hungry to play next season. So I think the rest means Steph has a higher likelihood of being healthy. At least that's what I'm crossing my fingers for. I have a look. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Amber. I have a Mm follow-up. How concerned are you about the Achilles injury for Clay? Very. I mean, that's one of the most devastating injuries a basketball player could have, any player. And I know that the physical side of things are what people are focusing on right now because it's devastating to have an Achilles injury right after your ACL injury. Um, uh, My heart just breaks. Um, What I'm concerned about is the mental side of things. When Clay worked so hard to come back from the ACL, which is itself a long-term injury, you have to have this date in your mind, like an endpoint of when all of your work will pay off. And that was going to be the start of this season. He went through this long rehab. He did it. He triumphed. And then suddenly he's got this other injury that knocks him back another year. We're talking prime years of his career. So when basketball was snatched from clay again, my concern is the mental side. And I know, I know he's on a lot of people's minds right now, but I hope the team reaches out to him two weeks from now. I hope they remember him two months from now. You know, I hope it can be really sad to go through rehab by yourself. It's like out of sight, out of mind. You're in a gym by yourself. You're doing repetitive motions. You're trying to build your strength at a time where you don't feel strong. So I just hope fans and the team will remember Clay and make him feel like a beloved member of the Warriors still. He's one of the most popular people in the NBA, um, but remember him when he's out of sight or that can feel really sad for him. Yeah. And I guess I hope that definitely happens as well. But, you know, speaking of the Splash Brothers, we were just talking about Steph and what do you, how do you think he should actually approach the season as a player? Um, and do you think he feels pressure to be more aggressive, you know, due to the circumstances with Clay? Yeah, I think Steph would be cognizant of what's on his shoulders. Um, I think, you know, maybe the talking heads will certainly remind him of that as well. Like, who are you, Steph, without your splash brother alongside you? Um, but Steph has that humility too. When Clay Thompson had his jersey retired at Washington State, Steph was there, and I asked him, would your career be the same if Clay wasn't beside you? He said, no, absolutely not. Um, so I think he's aware of, like, the magnitude of the situation and playing another season without Clay. So what's going to fall on Curry is just making sure everybody else is ready, prepared, playing their best, making sure he can set them up the best. Like, it would be pretty cool if this was a career year for Steph in assists as well. Um, making use of people around him. Um, so it's it's getting Oubre involved. It's getting Wiggins involved. Um, it's setting up Draymond to play the best that he can. 
and then also taking this rookie under his wing. I mean, I know a point guard tutoring a, a center is very different, but you can make sure your rookie is as comfortable and prepared as possible. You can space the floor for him to, to open up things for him. Um, so I think Steph, as just like the good guy in the locker room, the, the glue between everybody, um, and he's got a great sense of humor too. I think he'll take that on his shoulders, not just the stuff on the court, but off the court as well. Okay, and speaking of uh, Draymond, you know he has signed with Clutch over over the summer or maybe a couple of summers ago at this point. And since then, you know, his loyalty to the team has been questioned by some Warriors fans. And, and you know, when it comes to basketball at the end of the day is a business and you know you want to try to set yourself up for life when the game is done you know you still have to live after you take that jersey off for the last time and for me I thought it was a, a good look but you know some people don't really think he could compartmentalize his on the court business and his off the court endeavors do you even think that's fair that he's being questioned about that sort of stuff I can understand why fans would question it, but I'm not quite sure where they're coming from. Are they saying they are worried about his, like, friendship with LeBron or, like, what's yeah, what? Yes, his friendship with LeBron and how um, he let, uh, I think it was math, talk trash about Steph and his defense and he didn't do anything. And that's where they are coming from. Hmm. I mean, Draymond picks his spots with that stuff. Some things aren't even worth talking about so I, I think Draymond maybe is smart in that way not to fan stupid flames um, if they if Steph and Draymond had anything to sort out they would have done that behind the scenes but I don't think either of those things like that kind of chatter I don't think it bothers either of them I guess when it comes to clutch and I feel like he signed last year maybe yeah, he had like a, yeah maybe he had a year with clutch um I mean, good for Rich Paul. He's collecting some really talented people. And I think, you know, Draymond likes to think beyond basketball. And he's all about self-empowerment and being at places that are aggressive to empower him. It's kind of like, well, you're my agent. What can you do for me? And if he's looking at LeBron and seeing, you know, like media enterprises or a longer arm for business interests, investments, making some kind of introductions – to me, that's that's smart business for Draymond. I'm all about player empowerment and kind of setting yourself up for the future. And Draymond does look at things beyond basketball. Um, if Draymond wants, if he wants an avenue to say something, maybe he can see what LeBron is doing with Uninterrupted. Maybe he can see, you know, the barbershop on HBO. Maybe Draymond would like to do that stuff someday. And if if Clutch is the place where that can happen, good for Draymond. So be it. I mean, you know. And and that's exactly what I've thought about this whole situation. I mean, you know, if, if you're a player, you want to maximize every opportunity that you can in this game because it doesn't last forever. And you have to think about what to do, what's next after you hang it up. And, you know, good for him. And, you know, he's competitive. I believe Draymond is competitive enough to handle business on the court, you know. Yeah. I don't really even think it matters, but I, I just wanted to get your take on it. 
Yeah, you know what? I really liked what Draymond did for TNT during the postseason. He can explain the game and predict the game better than anybody. So if I could do a film study with Draymond, that would be awesome. So whatever he wants to do, and he still has years and years on his career, but he's setting himself up. He is a savvy businessman, and he knows what his brand is. Like He knows how to present himself. So power to Draymond in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it hurts my feelings when you talk about Clutch because Clutch just signed two Blazers and it just scares me. They just Uh-oh. signed Yusuf Nurkic and Gary Trent. Okay. I'm nervous, but I'm, I'm going to go with what you said about having like, um, having that be like a platform where they can think about what they're going to do doesn't necessarily mean they're all going right to the Lakers, which some people would say. So LeBron yeah. <laughs> is a magnet, but that's what happens when you win championships, but not everybody can play for one team, only 15 on a team. So yes, exactly. I'm going to hold on to that. Um, my question for you is uh, what do you know at this point about what your job is going to be like in this season? Um, like, because I imagine you have like a routine that you've, you know, been doing for several years, you know, your how you manage, you know, going to practices, going to games. Mm-hmm. What what has the uh, has the NBA I don't I'm not sure what the NBA has released yet about like how the it's actually going to work and who's going to travel and who's going to do do what. What do you know about that at this point? I don't know a lot to be honest. Um it has been a little frustrating. I mean, I know when there's a start time for the league, you know, if training camp is starting December 1, if preseason is starting December 11th, games December 22nd, these these slow decisions are going to force you have to start making decisions now. Um because right now I just I don't know. The messaging that I've gotten is sideline reporting is never going to be the same. Um, but maybe I look at what happened within the bubble, Mm -hmm. you know, ESPN and TNT, they were on the sidelines. There were still interviews happening. You just have to adjust. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't speak specifically to what NBC sports Bay area is doing. Um, those production decisions are still in the works as, as we get information from the league. There's just a lot of waiting right now and Mm -hmm. not a lot of time to, to figure it out. So that's gotta happen soon. Um, But, you know, I think everybody needs to evolve as well. As a sideline reporter, I also podcast, I write, um, I make sure I always interact with fans, I try to leverage social media. So it's not like I can just sit and be comfortable and do one thing as a sideline reporter. I need to do more. Um, So hopefully I can pitch some things to my bosses and just try to evolve along with the rest of the league to make sure I'm doing my best to be the eyes and ears for fans and really help them connect with um, the players and teams that they love. I imagine that they probably picked up some learnings from the bubble, like you were just saying, like some things that, that worked in the bubble, some things that didn't, you know, it, it worked out from the, you know, from the Blazers point of view, like we didn't have our, you know, people calling the games like in the stadium, but we still like had an enjoyable full experience of like having them comment on the game. They were still able to to make it happen. So I'm just uh, really interested to see what's going to happen. Like what's going to go forward from the bubble. What's going to be brand new. Like what are the fans going to be like? You know, I was watching the, yeah. a duck game and they had you know cardboard cutouts in the seats. <laughs> like, yeah. What are they going to do? It's going to be so interesting to find um, out. Well, and then this year, this upcoming season will be different than say 2022 because I imagine with the vaccine maybe we do get back to what we used to know before COVID time so I'm talking about what sideline reporting might be like next season the season after that it can be totally different again 
So it's just, it's kind of mind boggling. And I, I just hope everybody keeps safety at the center of things, um, social distancing at the center of things and, and making sure we all come out of this as healthy as possible. Now, it wouldn't be me if I didn't ask a draft question. So oh, yeah. <laughs> there haven't been any draft questions asked yet. Now, there were a lot of rumors circulating about what Golden State was going to do with the number two pick. Do you think that Bob Myers knew what he was going to do with the number two pick all along and it was just smokescreen? Or yeah. do you think some of those rumors were true? <laughs> Yes, I, I do. Um, Bob Myers wears his heart on his sleeve. He is a very emotional guy. And when he introduced James Wiseman at Chase Center, he said Wiseman was number one on our board the whole time. And Joe Lacob backed that up too. I mean, I think he said if there were any real trade opportunities, they would listen. But they've had Wiseman identified for a long time. And he impressed them in an in-person workout. Um, Meyer said like he really he was very impressed when Wiseman showed up to a dinner that they had planned alone so he wasn't there with family wasn't there with an agent there and you could tell like he was you know he could stand on his own he could answer these questions on his own he didn't need coaching in the moment you know and and Bob was like for a for a young player for a guy who's 19 years old just to show up by himself that told me something about about his maturity so, um, yeah, I think the Warriors were very empowered. That number two pick um, it could have gone different ways. But when it comes to drafting, they knew if other circumstances didn't arise, it was going to be Wiseman. They need a center. They need a guy who can contribute now. And with this pick, they get bigger and younger. Here was my deal. Here was my here's what I was scared about. And I talked to the ladies before about this. That pick just seemed too easy. Like, it just seemed too much like right. And when you saw all those rumors circulating around what they were going to do with their pick, were they going to take them, were they not going to take them, were they going to package it, were they going to move down to four and trade with the Bulls? It was just so much going on. And I'm like, me and Janelle were talking, and we said, Wiseman, just take Wiseman and call it a day. Mm-hmm. He runs the floor very well, has good hands for a big man, finishes well around the basket. You just have to teach him defensive scheme, which is different in the NBA than it is in college, of course. He can learn very quickly, and he's very good on his feet. I really loved him watching him play a little bit at Memphis, but I watched a lot of his high school tape as well. So him having a ex-NBA player for a coach really does a lot for your development. Precious Achua was taken in the first round as well. Precious was able to play the full season for Memphis. Memphis really had high hopes with their team with Anthony Anthony Hardaway. And you will see how much of a difference it is when you're coached by an ex-NBA player. Yeah. Uh, Vanderbilt, you know, they got Jerry Stackhouse as their coach. So I think you'll see more of that in the NBA. But I really like Wiseman. We were like, that pick is too easy, right? It's way <laughs> too easy. I hope they make it. It's just way too easy. Yeah, yeah. I was just really hoping that Golden State took him um, as a number two pick. Yeah, Wiseman was really complimentary about Penny Hardaway um, and the way that Penny could hook him up with pros. He was playing a pickup against pros. He was preparing himself as best as he could during these weird COVID times. He knew what film to watch. He really put himself in the best situation to impress Golden State. Um, yeah, he's got the seven six wingspan. I want to see him run the floor in person. I want to see these feet. Um, and then he was saying the right things about wanting to learn from the people around him, 
understanding that his his shooting needs to get better. He's especially been working on his jump shots. So I think he has a good head on his shoulders and lots of the appropriate people in his ear about how to get better and how to do the work. Okay. Good pick pick for you guys. Great pick. (laughs) Go ahead, Janelle. (laughs) Okay. Earlier, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned how Steph can uh, mentor James. And I, I remember James being a part of Steph's Under Armour camp a few yes. years back. And I'm wondering what approach should or would Steph take now versus, you know, as a teammate versus, a, you know, a camp participant. Yeah. That, that dynamic would be interesting. Yeah, some of, so some of the stuff that I watched on Wiseman, he's got good hands, and he likes to do this little crossover, then he slashes to the bucket, then he'll dunk it. So I think you might find nowadays, because the, these seven-footers are asked to do so much as centers, they want to have good handles. They don't want to be a liability on the floor. They want to surprise some people. Um, so if Steph, I know, I know this is strange, but if Steph wants to help Wiseman with his handles a little bit, you, you could learn from the best right there. I'm actually reminded of Kevin Durant a little bit, who, let's be honest, is a seven-footer, but didn't want to get pigeonholed as a center. He wants to be a guy who can run the floor, take the ball up the court at his size. He wants to be silky. And maybe you have somebody like Wiseman who wants that kind of handle too. Guys have to start thinking differently, right? It's not just centers playing between the blocks and around the rim. Um, They have to do everything on the floor. They need to be able to defend as well. So it's just so many dimensions to a game that Steph can teach him whatever Wiseman wants to learn, whatever he wants to be a sponge about. That's interesting. And there's some comparisons um, to – Somebody like Chris Bosch for Wiseman. I even heard yeah. David Robinson. Me too. Yeah. So, but you think that's fair? Um, I understand why people want to compare. Um, because you're like, oh, okay, I know that guy. I know how he played. Wiseman could be as great as those guys. Okay. I, I think it's a little unfair for a rookie. I hope they have a chance to establish themselves. Um, but you're talking about Hall of Famers there. I'm sure Wiseman would be complimented by the comparisons. Yes. Okay. And um, that's all the time we have for today. Tell uh, our listeners where we could reach you and, um, you know, your pods, social yeah. media. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Kareth Burke. And then on Instagram, I'm at Warriors Kareth. Um, the Run and Plays podcast has been rebranded Dubs Talk. Um, uh, so follow that ahead of the season. And yeah, I love interacting with fans, so send me a message if you'd like. And uh, Janelle and Brittany and Tara and Amber, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah, you are welcome to thank come you. back. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this is really fun. Appreciate it. Was. It was. It was.